0: It was almost too easy. No matter where we went, people were following Jesus from everywhere. He was doing miraculous things, calling people to repent and teaching about his new kingdom, which sounded pretty heavenly compared to our current political mess. There were so many people that Jesus couldn't baptize everyone by himself, so he taught us to help out. It was like bumping an apple tree and having the fruit just rain down on you by the bushel Or like fishing, where you can see the giant schools of fish crowding near the boat. Southern people wanted to follow Jesus, and we were right in the middle of the action. When local religious leaders got nervous about his popularity, I guess Jesus decided things were happening too quickly. So all of a sudden, we packed up shop and headed north. But instead of taking the usual bypass, Jesus decided to go through Samaria on the way. Samaria. Ugh. Traitorous bunch of half-bred, socialist, tree-hugging, pagan... Look, for those of you who don't know, there's an age-old beef we have with the Samaritans. It's complicated, but let's just say we hate each other. They abandoned our ways and are completely different than us. We're conservative. They're liberal. We believe in one God. They worship multiple gods. We don't marry outside our own country and culture. They marry whoever they want. We pray in schools. They don't. We resent government control. They not only believe in bigger government, they provide soldiers to the Romans. They even... They even eat bacon. (laughs) (sighs) So there we were in Samaria. And all of a sudden, Jesus got hungry and sent us to go get some food. Think about it. Imagine looking for a grocery stop in the worst part of town where the worst people are knowing that they know how much you hate them. That's how it was. Thank God there were 12 of us. We gulped, put on our best brute squad look, clustered into town, hoping we would maybe grab a couple fish and some loaves and Jesus could do that thing he does. So after half an hour looking through a city full of dirty looks, we managed to intimidate some poor slob into selling us some way overpriced grub, and we got the heck out of Dodge. When we got back, there was Jesus. Sitting by a well, talking with a woman, alone. <sighs> well, ah, that doesn't look good where we come from, but it especially didn't look good here. And it didn't take a profit to see that this Samaritan chick had been around the block a few times. She just had that look, you know? We were speechless. I didn't know what they were talking about because as soon as we got close, she jumped up with this big smile on her face and hurried past us toward the town. Jesus didn't say anything, but just watched her with a smile. Awkward. Hey, Jesus, uh, here, eat something. But he just looked at me with that mischievous grin he gets sometimes. I hate that grin. I've got food you don't know anything about. What are you talking about? What did we just risk our necks for back there? What's going on here? The food that keeps me going is to do what God wants me to do. And I'll never forget this. Jesus stands up sweeps his arm toward this desolate, God-forsaken Samaritan town. Look at this place! Can't you see the harvest here? The trees are laden with apples. The lakes are filled with fish. We looked. There was nobody in sight. Everything in me wanted to scream, No, we just left the harvest. Remember, people couldn't get enough of you. They all wanted to follow you. But here, them, these people... They have no idea who you are, and they don't care. But he continued, The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay. He's gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. I sent you to harvest a field that you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. At that moment, a small group of people, led by this woman with a huge smile, turned a corner and headed toward us down the block. Jesus grinned. Get ready. He winked. I hate it when he winks. (laughs) Goodbye, comfort zone.
1: Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus came. And he spoke like no other man before him. And he claimed things about himself like none other had claimed before. And he said that he was not only the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for, but he said that he was the Son of God bringing life. And he backed up those words with his actions. Not just how he treated people and interacted with people, but he backed it up with miracles that he did that no no other person could ever do. He had many followers and from among those followers he chose 12 to be with them. From the very start when he was first baptized in the Jordan River all the way to the point after his resurrection when he was then ascended into heaven. These 12 heard and saw things that left lasting impressions on them. They were marked by Jesus in such a way that they went the distance for him. Sharing their eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his life to the ends of the known world at that time. All of them except John were killed because of their testimony about Jesus. All of them have been marked for life by Jesus and it's not just supposed to be those 12 that are marked but it's supposed to be us today as Christ followers that are also marked in the same way Not some kind of mark on our skin, but a mark on our soul that cannot be erased or taken away. Today, I want to share with you an account from John, the story that's been related to you by one of uh, uh, the apostles here, and uh, I want to share with you John's account. John records seven major conversations that Jesus had with people, seven conversations that aren't recorded in any of the other three Gospels. And for some reason, John recorded this conversation with the woman at the well because it left some sort of impression on him, that he felt that it was needy to share it with us and future people who had put their belief and trust in Jesus for eternal life. So John shares his account. He says that Jesus was at that point on his way from south of Israel to north And between here and there was this area called Samaria, a region that Jewish people usually avoided. And it was because Samaritans were were half-Jewish. They had done the unthinkable, marrying outside of the Jewish race. And they had married with uh, the Assyrians who had invaded 400 years earlier. And the Assyrians also purposely uh, probably forced some of these intermarriages to bring uh, their domination over the culture and the control over the region. And so during that time uh, of Jesus, if you were Jewish, you avoided that region. And it was there was this uh, despising, there was this hatred, there was this all that sort of thing welling up in with, within them because not only because they were of mixed Assyrian blood, but because the Samaritan they, they mixed the practices of belief. They took the beliefs of, Jewish, of the Jewish faith and the beliefs of the Assyrians and brought them together. And that was detestable to Jews. So they would never go into a Samaritan home. They would never uh, have a meal with a Samaritan person. They would never talk with one. And in the Jewish world, Samaritans have been pushed out to the edge of society. They've been separated. They've been marginalized. They weren't welcome. But Jesus wasn't paying attention to any of those social barriers. Instead of hiking around this region like any good Jewish man would do, instead he took a small band of followers right through the heart of Samaria. And at about noontime, they came upon a town. They were tired. They were hungry and thirsty. And so they stopped. And there they refueled and rested. And Jesus chose to stop beside a well just on the edge of town. And at that well, he sends his disciples on in for a field trip to get some lunch and bring it back. And his disciples were probably squeamish about it, like you saw portrayed, but probably thought in their heads, well, you know, this is only right. You know, we're the young Padawans. He's the master, so, you know... It's, it's not right for the master to go and soil his hands with these Samaritans. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go in and take care of the dirty business of doing this, and we'll come back outside of the, to the edge of town to so Jesus. Yeah, he's probably staying out here because he doesn't want to pollute himself mixing with these, these people. I mean, that's probably what the disciples were thinking in their heads. So, you know, they were shocked when they came back, and look who Jesus is talking to he's talking to the Samaritan woman, talking to her alone here at the well. And it's funny, the scriptures record what the disciples were thinking. John, his account says, here's what we were thinking about the woman. And it was, what do you want? (laughs) And then he says, and here's what we were thinking about Jesus. Why are you talking to her? And, you know, you can just imagine the scenario being played out here. But the woman, you know, must have got the vibe from the disciples and their looks. And, and so she kind of gets up and ignores them, remembers what Jesus said, and she runs off with a great, with a, with a lot of excitement and uh, she runs back into the village to tell people what's going on. And so much excitement that she leaves her water jar there. And it's here that I, I think, in my imagination, uh, it's not in the scriptures, but I imagine Jesus taking the time to share with his disciples this conversation that he's had with the woman. And, uh, and adds a few instructions for his disciples. You know, when Jesus approached the well, Jesus asked her for water. You know, the woman was clearly surprised about two things. One, a Jewish man was talking to her, a, a Samaritan woman. And two, he was asking her for water. And Jews had all kinds of rules about eating and drinking utensils and their cleanliness, and she was certainly someone thought to be unclean by Jewish people. So there would be a couple of things that the disciples would find significant about this. One is that Jesus didn't present himself superior to the Samaritan woman. I mean, there was the Jew-Samaritan barrier, and there was the man-woman barrier, and Jesus busts through both of those, and he talks with her like he's talking with one of them. Then there was this whole thing of the prestige that the disciples held Jesus in. I mean, he he was just in in the south speaking to thousands of people. And then he comes up here to the Samaritan village and takes time to talk with one person, a woman, a Samaritan woman. What was Jesus saying with his actions? He was saying all people matter To God, everyone. Now, just a little pause in the chronological order of the story. The, The disciples are hearing Jesus retell his conversation with the woman. And in the meantime, the woman is back in town telling everyone to come out and see this man who she thinks could be the Messiah. And as Jesus is is talking with his disciples, I imagine that he's looking past them and seeing the townspeople coming out towards him. And he tells his disciples that he's not concerned about lunchtime anymore, that he's excited and he's filled up with the food of doing God's mission. Jesus sees these Samaritan villagers and he speaks of them as if they were a harvest. You go out into the field and you bring the harvest home. Jesus was thinking about his mission to bring people back to God the Father. And he was filled up, excited about it. And I'm sure that as the townspeople came out and Jesus started talking with them, the disciples were probably just a little bit disappointed when Jesus said, let's stay for the next two days. <laughs> There's so much to do here. And so the disciples were probably stretched. And as Jesus spoke to the Samaritans, many of them put their faith in him. And they said to the woman, you know what? We don't, we don't believe just because of what you said. We believe because we've heard for ourselves. And we really believe that this man, he's the savior of the world. Those are big words coming from Samaritans. You know, those 12 disciples were stretched for those two days. But they saw that the mission of Jesus wasn't just for people just like them. The mission of Jesus wasn't just about reaching their own culture. That the mission of Jesus was about crossing boundaries and barriers and reaching all people. Because all people matter to God. For two days, Jesus showed his care for a people that his band of followers were uncomfortable with. They had nothing in common with, and some of them probably even despised. It left a lasting impression. And you know what? It's not to just leave an impression on them, but to leave an impression on us. We have got to be willing to cross out of the boundaries that we've created for ourselves, the social boundaries, the people that we're comfortable with, and to know that God cares about the people that are unlike us, that God cares about people that have different customs, different traditions. You know, what happened in that conversation that led to a whole village putting their faith in Jesus? All people matter, even people we have nothing in common with. Well, that brings up a question. If all people matter to God, and even those we have nothing in common with, how are we supposed to relate to people that we have nothing in common with? Well, look at what Jesus does. You know, how did Jesus communicate with a woman that he had nothing in common with? You know, as Christ followers here, I know that maybe you could think of some people right now in your, in your mind's eye about people that you know that matter to God, but you're, you're thinking, I, I'm not sure how to relate to them. I mean, they're so different from me. I, I, I walk a different path. Well, Jesus communicated unchanging truth with relevance. Jesus was sitting by a well. He was thirsty. A woman comes to the well. She was thirsty. There you go they had something in common. A basic human need. A physical thirst. You know, we all have basic human needs. Maybe it's not a a physical thirst, but we know about the thirst or hunger for friendship. The thirst and hunger for love. We all have common human needs. And Right here and there in this picture, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, even he felt thirst and shared that in common with this woman. You know, but it wasn't just what Jesus communicated, it was how he communicated. Jesus asked for help, he didn't have anything to draw water with. You know, have you ever run into people who want to help you with something? but present themselves so put together that it makes you feel really stupid? You know, I've, I've met some churchgoers before that really presented themselves so put together, it kind of seemed like they really didn't need Jesus anymore. So when they were telling me about Jesus, it was kind of like, why, why are you telling me I need Jesus when you act like you don't need him? You kind of seem like you got it all together. You know, if you're a Christ follower, I really want to encourage you when you're trying to communicate the unchanging message of Christ, let people know you're still human. Let people know that your need for Jesus isn't once upon a time, that your need for Jesus is still today, right here and right now, that you're dependent upon Him daily. Not just that moment that you said, Yes, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God and I want you to come into my life and I'm going to follow you forever. Not just that moment but today. You know, maybe another way of thinking about this and communicating in a way that doesn't present yourself so superior and, and pushing people down. Again, uh, it's a TV show. Some, hopefully some of you have seen it. I, maybe not because I know my kids, uh, they're really prejudiced against black and white TV shows. And so, um, but how many of you have ever seen an Andy Griffith show? All right, good. All right. I've, you're all from North Carolina. You should, right? It's, uh, so well, what is Andy always doing in the show? He's always helping people. And how does he help people? He helps them without them knowing that he's helping them. You always see it with Barney. Uh, and, 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 or he, he'll do it in such a way that he doesn't denigrate them or make them feel less. And I always think that's, that's so cool. And that's what Jesus is doing here with this Samaritan woman. He wants to share something with her. He wants to go deeper than, than just some physical water. He wants to talk about some living water. But he doesn't want to make her feel stupid. And so he breaks through these barriers. And as this woman realizes that Jesus isn't playing or toying with her, that he isn't trying to put her down, he isn't going to you know turn around and say, "'Psych! I was kidding!' I'm a Jew, you're a Samaritan, I'm not going to drink from that, yeah, gross. He wasn't going to do any kind of trick on her. When he realized that it was safe, it was cool, she was like, you know what? I got some questions for you then. And there was this confidence where she began to speak her mind. You know, when, when you're talking with people, maybe, maybe have a little awareness. You know, as you're talking, are, are they also talking? Are, do they have the comfort level and the confidence to say what they think and to be intellectually honest with you or not. You know, Jesus communicated with relevance as he shifted the conversation from talking about physical water to spiritual water and a deeper thirst. At first, uh, the woman, she doesn't catch the switch. When he, and when he switches from physical water to, to spiritual water. And so she's still thinking literally about this continual physical thirst and how she, man, if there's some water I can drink and not have to ever drink again, cool. Um, so Jesus pushes into further spiritual territory with her to help her go, okay, we're talking about spiritual things now. And, and he pushes into an area where maybe today we would probably say, you know what, that's a little too personal. You shouldn't go there but he does. When Jesus asked her to call her husband to, to join the conversation, he knew exactly what he was asking. I mean, he's the son of God. And in the moment, you'll, you'll see the son of God little move he pulls. But the truth comes out at this moment. And she says that she has no husband. And then, and then Jesus pulls out his son of God trick out of the hat and he reveals that he knows that you know she's had five husbands and the one that she's living with isn't her husband now but Jesus doesn't do this in a way that that's condemning or makes her feel bad in fact he tells her he almost kind of praises her and he says you know you're right what you said is true you know Jesus wasn't shocked by her promiscuous life nor her numerous failures in marriage. You know, I, I just wonder if you and I, can, can we accept the hard truth of dark chapters of people's lives and just say to them, you know what, thanks for being honest with me. I, I know that was probably really hard for you to share that. Thanks. You know, if we could just learn to do that, that could go a long way with a lot of people and make everything that's in our heart to share about Jesus more relevant to them. You know, can you and I also have the courage to move past vague spiritual metaphors and talk with someone about how truth and, and the spirituality of the gospel really has consequences for each of us at a personal level? like marriage and relationships. You know, when we, when we get intellectually honest with each other, not hiding behind vague spiritual metaphors, isn't that showing that we really care about someone? Or are we going to let the social etiquette of our culture keep us talking only skin deep and avoid getting personal and talking about the things that really matter to the heart? I think we need to go there. I think we need to start having courage. You know, in this city, everywhere I go, I run into people, and they're more than willing to tell me about their spiritual beliefs, about their crystals, about their Egyptology. I can't even say it. Egyptology, is some strange thing I, I just learned about, and then uh, and and talking about the universal flower and and all sorts of things I've never heard of. And they're willing to talk about what they believe, what they think about it. And have you heard about it? No, I haven't. Well, and, and, and it's, you know, it's my turn. I think that you and I, that we should respond and like and say, you know, that's very interesting that you, you share that. You know, here's, here's some of my spiritual beliefs and what, what I think. What do you think about that? Have you heard about that? I don't think it takes much. And I go, why is everybody else so brave and courageous about talking, their, talking about their beliefs? And as Christ followers, we become so silent. It's time for us to have a little more guts. You know, Jesus pushes the conversation in the territory of consequences of our choices, moral failures, what the Bible calls sin. Some might look at the woman's reply when, when she goes from, yeah, I, yeah, you're right about the husbands and the one I'm with isn't my husband right now. And then she goes, but what about worship? Where should we worship? You know, the Samaritans, we worship here, but you Jews worship here and you say that we're wrong. And some people look at that and go, oh, it's a smoke screen. She's trying to change the topic. But you know what? Looking at this, I, I don't think she really is. You know, if you look at it, she's really got a deep theological question here. And Jesus doesn't blow it off. In fact, Jesus looks at her and and answers her question, keeping that spiritual focus with her. But, you know, really, if you think about it, Jesus just brought up her sin. And so she's thinking about it. And she's going, how do I respond? This guy's a prophet. He's kind of, he knows everything. Oh, I'm really nervous right now. Well, what am I to do with my sin? Probably would have been her question. And back in in that time and day, what do you do when you try to get rid of your sin? What do you do to take care of your sin with God? You go to the temple. And she's going, well, which temple do I go to? How do I worship? where, Where do I worship? And Jesus looks at her, and he answers her honestly. And he spoke about what her and only her conscience knew. But Jesus then says to her, it doesn't matter about where you worship. It's about who you worship and how you worship. Those are important. And, and obviously, you know, today we agree with that, right? It doesn't matter where you worship. I mean, I mean, I guess we're at a watering hole, aren't we, right now, just like Jesus was. Folks are at the Gray Eagle are at a watering hole. Maybe it's a good place to go to worship, don't you think? Uh, maybe it's where people go get a drink and maybe we can talk about some living water. Instead of something that just quenches your physical thirst. But, so it doesn't matter where, where we worship, but it does matter who. That, I mean, still, that's still an important question today, isn't it? Who do you worship? That's, that's real important here in Asheville where, you know, we got a lot of people that are kind of leaning towards the pantheist side of things, many gods. And here we are saying, well, there's just one God we worship. And then how you worship Jesus says it's important, and he says that the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. You know, what Jesus just shared was, was kind of explosive, explosive stuff to this woman as a Samaritan. I mean, the Samaritans had mixed Jewish faith with Assyrian beliefs, and they had diminished the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, to just a local cultural deity. Yeah, he's the God of, of, of the hills around here. Is basically what they had reduced the God of Abraham to. And so when Jesus says, you know, it doesn't matter where you worship in the context of this conversation, Jesus was saying that the living God isn't some local cultural deity, but he is the God of the universe. You know, the woman... I think it was blown away by that. And, and maybe, maybe you've shared a statement with somebody that was loaded with some truth that maybe they're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, well, I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I agree, but, but you know what? One day God, God will explain it to all of us and, and we'll all know then. I don't know if you ever run into that, but that's kind of what the woman said here. She said, you know what? I know the Messiah, he's coming, and when he comes, he's going to explain all this. It's kind of the thing of where we don't want to grapple with the truth right now, and so we push it aside. We push it aside and say, you know what, I'll, I'll deal with that some other time. But Jesus says, no, don't do that. Let's deal with the truth right now. Let's deal with the truth that I'm the Savior, and what I save people from is their sin and you got some sin, and I can take care of it. And so Jesus reveals to this woman, he pushes even farther into the conversation, and he reveals to this woman who he is. And he does it in a very kind and very simple and very clear way. He says, you're looking for the Messiah? I'm him. You know what? Jesus wasn't that simple with with John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist after he was thrown into prison, he had some moments where he was kind of scratching his head and having a few doubts. And he was kind of going, okay, I did all this work preparing the way for the Messiah. And was Jesus really the Messiah? Did I, did I do all that work for nothing? And Jesus sends back this message that's, that's kind of a quote from the Old Testament and, and doesn't really say, yes, I'm the Messiah, or no, I'm not. So just figure it out from this quote I'm giving you. But Jesus is very kind to this woman. Tells her flat out, clearly, directly, I'm I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. You know, as human beings, with the common experiences of being human, we sometimes can't deal with our personal issues until we deal with some deeper questions of our heart. And if you're someone who's courageously trying to communicate the unchanging gospel with relevance, know that sometimes people have obstacles to faith in Jesus. Those obstacles have to be removed, just like rocks being pulled out of the ground so that the seed of the word can be planted in the ground and can take root and grow into faith. Jesus was doing this with this woman. He was doing this with these Samaritans. And so he took the next two days to hang out with them, to eat with them, to talk, to explain, to teach, and answer their questions, to remove those obstacles to faith out of their way and by the end of it they were saying we no longer believe just because of what you said woman we believe because we heard straight from him this guy he's the savior of the world this was a conversation that marked Jesus' disciples for life all people matter to god communicate the unchanging gospel with relevance had a, there was a, a guy that I know that, that was, he's a very popular speaker, and, and he, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about someone being very relevant, this guy is it. And uh, we happened to be at a conference in the church where he grew up. And the church didn't seem like it was doing very well at being, communicating the message of God with relevance. And he got up and said, yep, it's true. This is where I came from. But I'll tell you one thing. Love covers a multitude of irrelevance. And I know some of you might be like, "I'm, I'm not 20 years old anymore. I don't know what the coolest bands are that are right now. I don't know the lingo, the language, the culture. And there's so many subcultures now today that I'm totally confused. You know what? Love. Love covers all that. It blows past it. Just like Jesus did with this woman at the well. It busts past the social barriers. Love can break them down. And you guys can too. You know, a later time, John and his brother James had to be reminded. They went into a Samaritan town and uh, they're preparing for Jesus to be there. And and so they... um, trying to set things up and when the the Samaritans found out that Jesus was just on his way to Jerusalem they said forget it don't let your master come here and it was again that whole prejudice the temple thing and and uh and so James and John were mad and they come back and tell Jesus they wouldn't let us come they they're refusing they they're telling you not to come to their town Jesus can we call down fire on them and burn up their whole town And I can just imagine Jesus just looking at them like, guys, remember the woman at the well? And I can just, all right. Okay, Jesus, you're right. We're wrong again. You know, and, but they had to be reminded. And I know that maybe some of us need to be reminded. All people matter to God. Even the people that you don't have anything in common with. And maybe there does need to be a little repentance that needs to happen because of that. I know that John, when you look at his words later in life, he says things like, like uh, oh, he talks about loving not just with words, but loving with actions. And that, that if we don't love our brother who we do see, and we say that we love God, but we don't love then we're liars because how can you love God whom you've not seen but then look at the person you can see and say I don't love you John, the mark was on him you know this is why at Highland and we're really trying to live this out that all people matter to God And we're trying to speak the message of Christ with relevance because he's marked us. And it's marked that that we're not going to cover up. We're not going to hide. And it's why I'm always going to try to speak persuasively about Jesus and his gospel. And it's not because I think I have it all together and I want you to be like me. It's because the gospel is something entirely different, something entirely new, something that the world hasn't seen and something the world isn't offering still to this day. You know what the world is still offering you today? And what they're saying to people all around you who are confused and lonely and guilty? The world is saying, hey, do this, this, and this. Jump through these hoops and then God will accept you. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know what Jesus and His gospel says, "You are accepted in Christ." Now follow me. You know, mankind and our world is always trying to divide things up. They're trying to divide it into right and the wrong, liberal, conservative, religious, non-religious. You know Jesus said, "Forget all that. With his gospel, you know what he says? Everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong, but you know what? Everybody's loved, and everybody's called to realize this and to change, turn themselves around. You know, it seems the only distinction that Jesus makes with His gospel. It's not right and wrong, liberal or conservative. You know, the, the distinction that Jesus makes: proud and the humble. And he says, the proud are out and the humble are in. And so there is a response, there is a consequence that we're to respond to the gospel humbly, to accept it. You know, every Sunday we we focus on the cross of Jesus. You know why we do that? Because we never want to lose sight of our need to fight against that impulse of trying to earn God's approval. It's not the way it works. And so we look at the cross and we remember that we need to humbly receive what he has already given. His approval through Jesus Christ to us is something that is a gift unearned. Jesus showed us in the story of the prodigal that, that, that we, we have to respond to the gospel we have to have that moment and realize that moment when you're in the pig pen and you go man what am i doing here stuck in my sin i could be with my my father that moment of realizing that it's something that we don't earn but it's a gift and then that moment of returning saying i'm gonna stop doing things my way i'm gonna turn around and move towards god and then to receive all that the father wants to offer, the the ring that he wants to put on your finger, the sandals to slip on your feet, the robe to put around your shoulders, to say that you're restored as a child in his family. That's the heart of the gospel in the prodigal story. Right now, we're going to continue with our worship. The band's going to come up. There's going to be a song, and during this song, it's a time for us to pray, be prayerful before the Lord, a song where we think and respond to the word of God. And maybe that response is just sitting quietly and just you and God talking, dealing with some things. Or maybe it's you need to align, your, your body and, and your mouth got to align with what your heart and your mind are thinking. And maybe there's some things you need to say. Maybe uh, you need to get on your knees and just say, God, I... I humbly just come before you and say, mark me. Mark me in such a way I will not, I will be changed for life. God, forgive me for forgetting that all people matter to God. Maybe you just need to say to him, God, let love cover a multitude of irrelevance in my life. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. And so I, I would encourage you to get up and, and come to the front. And over here we have some folks, uh, Doris and Vicky. Let me pray. I'll be over here to pray with you um, and maybe it's time for you just to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm like those Samaritans and I just recognize that, that you are the Savior of the world. You're my Savior. And it's time for me to return, come back home. So I'd like us all to stand. And I, again, you do what you need to do in this moment.